So you, you may have noticed we are back in the Gospel of Mark. We started way back in September going through that, and we took a break for Christmas. But we are again going to be working through Mark and go through it up until Easter. To start today's passage, I want to tell a story from the days when I, I was a runner. And on one day, I took a long run on a hot day, far from home, and I had not planned out the water stops very well. And so I got super thirsty. And at one point, I turned a corner, and I saw this beautiful lake, Petros Lake. I was in the industrial area of Canton, Ohio. And as I, if we could put it up there, a picture of it, I saw it, and and in my thirst... The water looked so good. You could see the sunlight glistening off it. And I kept running thinking, you know, you don't want to drink from a lake. But it just looks so good. And so finally, I, I just started, I got to do it. I just started bounding over the tall grass and ran all the way down to the, to the lakeside. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. And so I reached out and grabbed a scoop of water. Well, I got a lot of sediment. It was kind of dirty. I'm like, oh, I don't, you know. I, so I, I stepped further out into the lake, you know, even get my feet wet and reached as far out as I could so that I was just getting water, not touching bottom. And so I had that scoop and I could see little floaties in it, you know, little specks of, of stuff. And then, you know, it's just dirt. God made dirt. Dirt don't hurt, Right? And I was so thirsty. So I was just about ready to drink it. And then I saw some of those floaties were wriggling. And I thought better of it. Dropped the water and I trudged back to the road and started running again. And thankfully, with, within a mile, I came across this gas station that did not look pretty at all. And it was, you know, one of those I had to borrow the key from the, the attendant, and it, it didn't have any sign that said this had been cleaned in the last three hours or anything like that, but you know what? When I turned that spigot, the water out of the faucet came, came water that was pure and clean and did the job. So God, God provided in, in that run. I share the story to make a point. We have a problem inside of our hearts. Your heart and my heart. And there is a lot of crud. There are floaties in us. Things that don't belong there in our life and in our words. Outwardly, we can, you know, from a distance, we may look good. But when you get close and you look into our lives, there's something wrong. And we need a Savior. And the good news is, the good news that Mark wrote, is that Jesus, the Son of God, came as our Savior. He came to set things right. And I'm, I'm, I want to give you my main point, because I think this passage is complicated. And there's, there's some things I'm going to be talking about within the sermon. But let me give you the main point of my, my thing, so that if you 
If I get you all mixed up over the rest of the message, forget everything else and remember this. And if we could have it on the screen. Jesus did not come into this world to make us more religious. He came to deal with the sin entrenched in every human heart. That is the main point I want you to take away. He came to deal with our sin, not just to get us to be more religious in our practices. He once time said of the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, he says, you guys wash the outside of the cup. But inside, uh, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You're not dealing with the stuff deep inside of us. And so in Mark 7, we have an argument between the other religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and scribes, and, and Jesus. And so I'm going to go through it, but keep that central point in mind. Jesus did not come into this world to make us more religious He came to deal with the sin that's entrenched in our heart. So, starting in in verse 1, we see that the the religious leaders are called Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group, uh, a Jewish group that that strongly believed in following the Bible, the Old Testament law, and that was their their teaching. Um, The scribes, it says the scribes who came from Jerusalem, these were religious teachers who had traveled up from Jerusalem to to Galilee where Jesus was. The last time they came, they accused Jesus of being possessed by Satan. So that didn't go so well. So this time they come in with a different accusation. Now they accuse the disciples of not following the tradition of the elders. And it says that they're eating with defiled hands and not washing their hands before they eat. Now, I fear that as we, this story was read, especially in the era of COVID, we might have been on the side of the scribes, right? Have we not focused a lot on washing our hands and doing it well um, and all that? I, I, I want to clear up a misconception that I think we would naturally draw from this. When it says his, their hands were defiled, it doesn't mean they were dirty. You should not picture the disciples with crud on their hands, scarfing down dinner, you know, like slobs or anything like that. That's not what's going on. A better translation maybe of defiled would be unconsecrated hands. You see, the washing they're talking about is not like a washing with soap. It is a, 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 a ceremonial washing that they prescribe. And what had come to be is the, the, the scribes were teaching the people that they needed to consecrate their hands, do the ceremonial washing um, for everyday things. Um, now, con- the word consecrate, that means to set apart for a special purpose, to set apart as holy. To give an example, when we do communion, you, you, you could take note of this next time we do. I do what's called, a, a, in the words I say, I do the prayer of consecration as part of the communion words I speak. And that's when I say, Lord, set apart these, these elements of bread and juice to be holy. Consecrate them for your purposes. Because they're just ordinary bread, right? And juice. 
But by God's Spirit, they become something special. They can communicate to us God's presence in a way otherwise. That's what it means to consecrate something. And what the, the, the scribes were teaching is, is that people should be consecrating their, themselves before every meal. Well, that's, it, it talks about consecration in the Bible, but it's commands given for the priests when they go into the holy place. That yes, they were to do these washings and, and all of these things were, were things you did if you were going to temple in Jerusalem. And it was not meant for everyday activities, but that's how they were applying it. Now, if you were a full-time clergy person, well, you could stay consecrated at all times. You had the time to do all the stuff that they said everyone should do. But if you were a, a working man or woman, um, you didn't have time to stay ritually clean in everything. If you had a day job, and that would be quite a burden. They took the rules in Scripture that were meant to apply to priests and made it a rule for regular people going through their day. And that was what Jesus objected to. And that, was, that rule was their tradition. Now, they could probably pull verses out of the Bible that, that they, they would make a case for, but they were taking them out of context. They were applying rules meant for priests to ordinary people. And so Jesus responds. He doesn't just say, oh, yeah, you know, to each his own or anything. He's going to argue back against what they were doing. He's going to argue against that forcefully. He starts by saying, how appropriate that Isaiah called you guys hypocrites. A hypocrite is, is a, literally means a little judge or an underjudge. You know, how appropriate when, when Isaiah talked about you guys. You know, you, you honor God with your lips, but, but in your hearts you're so far from him. You, you follow these outward forms. You clean the outside of the dish, but you're missing the very thing that's important. In, in your heart, you, you don't honor God. You're far from me. And Jesus says, that's the difference. And notice that contrast between outward forms of worship and the real condition of the heart. He then goes on to cite an example of how they elevate their traditions over that of the clear teaching of the Word of God. They make void the Word of God through their tradition. And, and the, the command that they don't honor is one of the big ten. One of the ten commandments is honor your father and mother. Um, and God emphasizes that later in the law. It says anyone who, who, who uh, um, goes against their father and mother, there's a specific verse, let me see. Um, Anyone who, uh, why can't I find it now? Anyways, uh, anyone who goes against their uh, father and mother must be put to death. So, so the, the, the Pharisees and scribes, they came up with a little thing called Corbin. Corbin was a way of saying, all my possessions belong to God. Does that not sound holy? All I have is God's possession. 
I'm still going to hold on to it, of course. But all, that I, all my possessions belong to God. And so because of that, they can then say to their parents, I can't help you. I can't support you. So sorry, Mom. I know the nursing home bill is due today, but all my, all my possessions belong to God, so I can't pay it. They were using the scriptures and their traditions out of them. Um, they were playing games to avoid doing what God actually said. That is, honor their father and their mother. Um, oh, the verse I was looking for earlier says, there's one, if anyone reviles their father and mother, they deserve to die. Um, and God, So God takes that seriously that we honor our parents. But they were playing games, um, using their traditions to get around what God had clearly taught. So after he responds to their, their accusation, Jesus then calls the crowd to himself. He wants to make clear how he differs from these other teachers. And so he, he says, hear me, all of you, and understand this. So he calls the crowd to him, and he, he says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now think about it for a minute. Imagine you were in that crowd. Would you understand what Jesus is talking about at that moment? I, I suspect not. Because the disciples did not understand what's going on. So the very next thing is when the, Jesus is alone with the disciples, the first thing they do is, Jesus, could you explain that to us, what you were saying? <laughs> Jesus says, hmm, you didn't understand that, huh? All right. So then he goes on to explain. And what he says is what, goes, what is outside a person that goes in, in other words, what, what goes out that goes in is food, what you eat. Um, that cannot defile you. Why? Because it doesn't go into your heart. It goes into your stomach and out your body. In fact, Jesus gets kind of graphic, you know, a little biology lesson, goes into your stomach, he uses, it says it goes out to the latrine. It ends up in the latrine. So that's the actual literal word he uses. So that's not going to defile you. Don't worry about that. Um, we just, on Wednesday night before youth group, we, we tried out five guys and they have this bacon cheeseburger. I am so glad that, um, you know, that the, the kosher food laws, you know, are no longer apply. That, you know, what nothing you eat can defile you before God. Um, what the freedom that we have in that. Now, it may clog your arteries, but that's a whole different stuff. So. Um, but then what can defile us? He says, but what is inside of you and comes out. That is what can defile you. In other words, your words. It's what you say reveals the state of your heart. So I, I want to ask Alan and Ben, I want to illustrate this real quickly. And so we're going to play a little game. And go ahead and open up this box. Open up one of the boxes. Get it out there. So they each have a tube of toothpaste. And we're going to do a little competition. 
And, and this is going to be really simple, okay? Here, I'll come down here. You guys step, step right to here. All right, go ahead and throw, throw. You don't need the box. Just set it down. The first, who can be the first one to empty the toothpaste onto this plate? You ready? Set, go. I know I'm in the way and you can't see this, so if I can. Faster, faster. Get it all out. Who can be the first? Oh, Ben's doing the squeeze method. Alan is doing more of the, uh, the pull method. Yeah, the more official way. Ben's is kind of messy. So, okay. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, let me see. I, I don't know. I think... I think Ben may have won this one, Alan. Except that's only half of it. Okay, now here's the other part. Here's how we're going to find the real winner. Who can be the first one to put it all back? What? Can, can you do it? No. I'm not sure. Okay. You can keep the rest of the toothpaste, and I'm going to set this aside. Thank you. Go back to your seats. The whole point being, once it was out, it can't come back in. And so it is with our words. Have you ever found yourself saying something, reacting maybe with angry words, and, and thinking, did I just say that? It's like it bypassed your brain and went straight from your heart to your mouth. Does not our words sometimes reveal our inner state of our heart, even when we don't want it to. And that's what Jesus is saying. For from within, out of the heart of man, came, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Um, I, I would encourage you, I, I have this list on our handout, and there's a blank beside each word. Go to some other versions of the Bible when you get a chance, and just see what other synonyms come up, because those are words translated, but sometimes they, they can be translated a little bit differently. For example, the one that's translated envy, literally in Greek is the evil eye. So if you have an evil eye, you envy what people have. But is that, is that the list that all the bad stuff that the people of this world do? Well, not quite. It's the list of what is in the heart of every human being, of all of us. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and receive him, that stuff does not magically go away the minute we become Christians. James 4, 1 to 3, was written to followers of Christ, written to religious people. And what does it say? This is an interesting passage if you think about it. And, and James is talking about what's going on in their church. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? 
Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and, can't, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, there's followers of Christ who that, that junk is still coming out in their life and it's leading them into conflict with one another because they're, they're greedy and they're, they're still struggling with the... the the, the crud in their heart. When Jesus came, he came to not just clean the outside of the cup. In fact, he came to deal with what's inside first. He came to, to, to make us clean inside and out and set us right with God our Father. And when we say yes to Jesus and accept him, we receive complete forgiveness and grace. He, he came to do what religious practice could not do. He came to, to fix this. And, and when we accept him, we're forgiven for our sins. First John says he, he forgives us. Not, he's the atoning sacrifice, not just for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. He offers his forgiveness and grace freely. And that gets us started with Christ. He comes into our life, but then as we walk with him, we begin to follow him, he begins to deal with that inner stuff, the thing that, things that are in our hearts. As we, we step back from this, I think that the scribes and the Pharisees were, were in their heads, they're thinking these religious practices will somehow help us get beyond these sinful things. That these pra- the, the ceremonial washings will actually make us right with God. And so they put more and more emphasis on these outward things, even as inwardly they were not dealing with the true problems in our hearts. God is more concerned about the inner heart attitudes than the outward religious practices. What religion can't do, it can't fix the core problem of our sinful nature. Religious people, including church people, can be just as filled with anger, lust, greed, divisiveness as everyone else. Just becoming religious, just showing up at at church does not necessarily fix those things. Do I need to give examples of that? Or can we take that as a given? If God doesn't care about then those religious practices, the, the rituals and stuff, why, why, were, why were they in the law in the first place? You know, why did God have those cleanliness laws? The, the Pharisees, they were pulling stuff that is in the Bible. Well, what I could suggest is this. God gave the, the cleanliness laws in order to teach his people about the reality of sin. That, that they couldn't enter into God's presence as they were. That they did need to be set right on the inside. Um, and he, he was teaching them the concept of, of our sinfulness. And, and I think we see that with Isaiah, right? What, what did he, as soon as he was in God's presence, well, how did he react? Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. Same word, defiled. 
He knew he was defiled, and God had to provide a way for him that he could be in God's presence. And I would suggest the kosher food laws were given for maybe just a little different reason. They were given in order to separate the Jewish people from their pagan neighbors. Because if they couldn't eat together, if the Jews had these food laws, it would separate them out. If you can't have table fellowship together, you're not going to intermingle. And God needed to separate the Jews so he could teach them his ways and his, his attributes. But when Jesus came, that was no longer necessary. When Jesus came, the Messiah, he came to focus on the inner issues, the, the true problems in our life. And so we see what it says. And, and Marcus says, thus, he declared all foods clean. The Messiah came to start to, to deal with the real stuff. The kingdom of God is, was at hand. And Jesus, for two reasons, would be able to declare that those law, laws are no longer binding on his people. Two reasons. One is, he was the Messiah. Meaning he was the rightful interpreter of God's law. He could tell people what it was really meant to do. He was the Messiah. But, but he really didn't rely upon that in this, this case. There's a second reason, Jesus. Because he would consecrate people once and for all by giving his life on the cross. It would be his death that consecrates us and makes us right in God's sight and able to be in God's presence. There's a picture of that in the, the book of Revelation that keeps coming up. It says how believers are given a white robe. That's a picture of the righteousness of Christ covering over the problem of our sin so that we could be in God's presence before him. So he, we are consecrated and he comes into our life and then he begins to deal with the reality that sin still has a hold on us. It's not enough just that we would be forgiven and have eternal life. He's going to get rid of that sin. In 1 John 3 it says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. He starts something new in us when we respond to him. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But he's got to begin to work that out in us. When I was a new Christian, I remember thinking, okay, I know I needed forgiveness for some past sins. But once I get that straight, I'll be able to pretty much follow Jesus and, and I'll be okay. You know, it, it'll, I'll be able to give back to God with my service to him. I, I kind of had that idea that, you know, I was pretty much set once, once I had a few little sins forgiven. <laughs> I was so wrong. I, the more I follow Jesus, the longer, the more I see that, that list that Jesus gave, those things popping up in my own heart and life at times. You know, at one point in time in the young adult years, lust had a pretty strong, a pretty strong issue to be dealt with. Later in life, you know, it becomes greed or pride or, or defensiveness. Or you come up with the word that you find out that there's, there's things. Once you get past one thing, there's something else. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize 
I can't fix this. I need him to begin to renew me and shape me from the inside out. Do we play any part in this, though? Well, first of all, we enter into a covenant relationship with God through Christ. We say yes to Jesus, and we know him. He's in us, and he's with us. And then along with that, we give up official ownership rights of our life. We say, I'm yours. Do with me as you will. Here am I. Send me. We give him the right to do that work in our life. And we have to constantly reaffirm that and remember that. That is the role we play in being consecrated by, by the Holy Spirit. But I would also add there are certain practices that I think open up our lives to God's Spirit doing that kind of work within us. And these are called spiritual disciplines. I think there's things that, that we, we do that are, giving, that are opening up the door. So, for example, corporate worship, what we're doing here today. We're, we're taking an hour or so, and, and instead of focusing on ourselves, on what we want, what we need, we are thinking about our God and giving honor to Him. That's a spiritual discipline that God uses to work in our lives. Private prayer and studying the Word of God. Self-examination. When you're angry or frustrated and, and going to God with that anger and, and seeking out what is causing that frustration. So often, you know what I've found for me? It's because my pride was dinged. I'm unhappy because someone offended my pride. Self-examination is a spiritual discipline. Fasting. Small group sharing and accountability that like what happens in the life groups. Tithing is a spiritual discipline. I know for me, I need to tithe and give beyond the tithe, to give generously because I'm, I still battle greed in my heart. Can I confess that to you all today? So tithing is a spiritual discipline that helps me battle against that greed. Here's the thing, though. It's important that we not let these disciplines just be substitutes for that, that real relationship. Because then we're becoming like the Pharisees, right? We're using the outward forms to try to make ourselves right with God. That's not what their purpose is. What their purpose is is to, to allow Christ to be at work inside of us. And when we do that, he can begin, he, he can be at work to begin to shape us to be more like himself. He can bring his life, he can pour his living water into us so that we start to look more and more like a son. I want to end with good news. And that is, we don't have to be perfect or have it all together to be used by God to bear witness for Jesus. We don't have to clean up everything in our life before God can use us to point others to the good news. I think of that, that little gas station that didn't look so clean or pretty. But nevertheless, the, the, the water that came out of the faucet was clean and pure. In the same way, I know churches always struggle with conflict and struggles with, with interactions because what we do at the church, we call together a bunch of people that still have that stuff in our heart, right? We, we're, we're all in this together on that. 
And sometimes a new Christian will have this, an, have picture an ideal church where, where all that's dealt with. It's not how it works. We still will have outbursts inside the church as well. But despite that, when we keep our focus on Jesus, when we keep lifting up the Savior and His work in our life, his, the salvation that comes through His grace, it's not about us having it together. It's about what He can do in us and is doing in us then we can open the faucet and the living water can come out. That's the good news. That God can use people like us. And if you're here with us today, just know this. We are not, we are not a perfect people. No perfect people are allowed at, at East Glenville. We're, you know, we're here because God has called us together and we know we need Jesus in our life. We know we need the work of a Savior within us. Father, I thank you that, that you have come into our life and that your Son has, has, has made us right by what he did on the cross. That it's not about us and how good we're doing or how religious practices we've taken on it's simply because we have turned our lives over to you. And so, Father, we do pray that you would use us, that this would be a place where the living water flows out of the faucet and that people can drink. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.